Welcome along to the RT Soccer World Cup podcast. Raf Giallo here, and tonight I'm joined by Ed Leahy of RT Sport Online and former League of Ireland winning midfielder Alan Cawley, who's been part of our World Cup coverage as one of the co-commentators on the television. And you know the format by this stage, I'd say, if you've been watching this podcast since the start of the tournament, there's going to be an element of a watch-along at the moment. We have Portugal against Uruguay in the background. It's currently 1-0, 58 minutes as we're recording. And, uh, or 1-0 is Portugal, I should say. And then we're going to look back at today Today's games and also look ahead to tomorrow's fixtures, which is the end of the group stage for the Group A and B teams. But uh, Ed Leahy, um, we were treated to a thriller earlier this morning, and I'm not even talking about what happened on the pitch, just between uh, your old mate Kenny Cunningham and also Joey and Doe. Where weren't we? The lads, uh, the lads had a, I don't know, they got rid of those Monday morning blues pretty quickly, didn't they? The, uh... Having a little giggle in the studio, but it, it's it's good television. It's a long day in, tele, in television land, uh, especially these four game days. I think it was it's, this is the last, the yeah, last it's the last one, yeah, yeah. Of the ten a.m. starts, so uh, I suppose they had a license to to just let loose a bit. I'm sure with Joey, you know, he's always he's always uh, he's always comedy value, um, as well as his uh, excellent insight, of course. But uh, and then Kenny Kenny needs no. Uh, Second invitation to join in with the the antics, I suppose. Yeah, Alan, you know both of those men quite well, so I, I know you were you were kind of covering the co-commentary side of it, so you couldn't be in beside them as well. But uh, both great crack. Yeah, they really are, Ralph. I know them very well. I was actually out for dinner on Friday night with Kenny myself, so um, he was the only one doing the talk, and I was just sitting on my own <laughs> doing all the eating. I couldn't get a word in edgeways with him. Raph, but um, he's a great character, Kenny, uh, a good friend as well, and he's doing a great job on the coverage, and then to have Joey alongside him, I played with Joey at Shells, and um, a brilliant player, as we all know, but a great character as well, and he brought so much to the, to the coverage this morning, particularly the lap of honour uh, for the goal as well, one of the goals, so uh, really good coverage, and, and I was lucky enough then to be on the, on the game, as you say, which was absolutely brilliant, it was a, we had big shoes to fill, or to try and follow in terms of the 3-3 in the early game, but thankfully we got a brilliant game as well so all is good as Ed said yeah and uh, just the game we're watching at the moment Portugal leading Uruguay 1-0 uh, there's a goal there where there's a bit of a question mark as to who scored it Cristiano Ronaldo is certainly claiming it ball in from Bruno Fernandes I don't know do you think or from the angles you've seen there Alan that uh, he did get a touch on it yeah, my initial reaction was that he did get a touch on it. Um, it was a brilliant ball into the box by Bruno Fernandes. It was one of those kind of in-swinging uh, crosses that we've even seen in the game I was covering today. Jordan Ayew set up a brilliant goal where it was something similar. And Bruno Fernandes, as I say, uh, put that ball into the box. Ronaldo made a great run. It's hard to tell, to be fair, does he get a glance on it? But I think he actually does. That was my initial reaction when watching it. Um, but... It'd be a brave man to try and take it off him. <laughs> the amount of goals he scored, and obviously he was so hyped up and uh, fired up going into the World Cup as well to try and make his mark. He scored in the opening game, and for him to back it up with another goal, Raf, is absolutely amazing. And even texting lads here, friends of mine, and all the debate and discussion around him going into the tournament, but he just never fails to deliver. It's just phenomenal, the longevity and the amount of goals. And Messi the same, obviously he's got two goals as well. And I know that we always kind of throw in the phrase that we're so lucky to be around with these two, but we really are because I don't think we'll ever see the like of it again. It's absolutely phenomenal what they've done and, and still doing it. Yeah, and Ed, I mean... I tell you what, uh, no, I was just going to say, I'm not, likewise, I'm not entirely sure he got a touch on it, but um, his mere presence 
made the goalkeeper pay attention to him and you know otherwise it would have been a standard uh, collection for the goalkeeper so the fact that he was in there challenging and in the right position basically you know led to the goal if, if he doesn't if he didn't actually make any contact so yeah, and I suppose, uh, you know, we'll be keeping an eye on this game um, as we go along as we're recording. But uh, the earlier games, obviously, as we've said, Ed, I mean, uh, or as, and as Alan said, I mean, the 3-2 between Ghana and South Korea, it was always going to be a hard act to follow the 3-3 between Cameroon and Serbia earlier in the day. I mean, the uh, the the joy and dough game, uh, as we can call it now. But uh, in regards to, you know, in regards to the, the build-up to Cameroon, um, to, to Cameroon's 3-3 draw with Serbia, obviously, there have been a lot of talk about Andre Onana of course the goalkeeper who has and we're not quite sure has he actually left the squad completely but he was left out of the team today and it appears to be some sort of disagreement over the playing style exactly yeah um oh look it's the last thing a team needs especially the second the second game of the three is so vital it's so important and he's such a vital moment such a vital player in that team and perhaps he's just got a little bit too big for the boots in this situation. Um, it appears to be a case of something to do with directions for playing out from the back and you know going against his natural style as a keeper and his natural natural instincts. It looks as though Song has left the door open for him with his quotes afterwards. Is it basically if you read the between the lines, you're saying if he if he grovels and apologizes to the team, he'll be welcomed back with open arms, sort of scenario, I think. But um, interesting what Joey said in the studio was uh, like he basically said, what's this fella doing? If the manager tells him to do something, all he has to say is, yes, Gaffer. Once he goes onto the pitch, he's his own man. He can do what he likes. <laughs> and, then at the, and then at the end of the game, just say, sorry, Gaffer. I, oh, yeah, I'll do it next time. You know, that's what Joey said. He did himself. Yeah, and I suppose, Alan that meant he also missed what was probably... I mean, Cameroon have been on a very bad run in terms of World Cups. They'd, they'd lost every group stage match in 2014 and 2010 and this is the first point they've actually earned since uh we would have played them in the uh, 2002 group stages so it's quite a long time um i think their their last uh, their last point would have been the win over saudi arabia in that tournament all those uh, 20 years ago so um but on the serbia side of course uh, do they look like real dark horses to you? Now, we've seen them losing to Brazil, which is obviously the toughest test they're going to face, but this would have been, uh, Cameroon would have been seen as a gimme by all the teams in that group. You would think so. I covered the first game for Cameroon against Switzerland, and they were pretty disappointing, to be honest with Giraffe. And Switzerland themselves, um, just when they showed a bit more attack and intent in the second half, they started to cause Cameroon all sorts of problems. And obviously, Mbolo got the goal as well, and it was a really well-worked goal. But even the fact that they were ahead and Cameroon were chasing the game. You never really felt as though Cameroon were going to get back in the game. And then he made a couple of strange substitutions with Chupa Moteng, especially coming off. And he's in red hot form, obviously, at club level before the tournament. So that was a strange one for me. Then you go into the game today, and as you say, against Serbia, and you would have fancied Serbia. Of course, we know them well from obviously watching them and qualifying. And I did have them down as uh, potential dark horses in the tournament because of the likes of Mitrovic and Milinkovic Savic as well. There's some really good players playing at a good level, um, obviously in England and Italy, respectively. So I would have had them down as dark horses, but I think that's a major blow to be 3 1 up and, and to, to be pegged back to 3 all that'll do them serious damage. And now, obviously, they're going into a bit of a shootout with Switzerland to get themselves through. So I felt that was a poor result, especially having been 3-1 up against an ordinary enough Cameroon team, I have to say. And obviously, they're having problems in the camp as well. And 
they had a lot of problems in the previous campaigns, as you said, but they've come in in a lot of kind of unified harmony into this tournament. But that's obviously not the case when you have the goalkeeper having a major dispute and a goalkeeper of serious high pedigree as well that's playing at Inter Milan. So that doesn't bode well for them going forward. But just on Serbia's one, I think it's a major blow to be pegged back when you're two goals up. Yeah, and uh, if we talk about the quality of those um, Cameroon goals, of course, because the first one, uh, as in the, their second goal, so the, the one that pegged it back, so Abubakar, as you mentioned, substitutions in the first game against Switzerland didn't quite work out quite that well for Cameroon, but this time they actually put Abubakar on, but this time kept Chupo Moting uh, on the pitch, and we all thought it was offside. I think uh, Abubakar also thought it was offside, but the quality of the actual finish, the way he chipped uh, uh, Milinkovic Savic's brother, who was actually in goal for Serbia, it was, uh, it was a piece of magic. Yeah, it absolutely was. And he's obviously a brilliant goal scorer for Cameroon. So I'm sure the manager was keen to get him on the pitch um, at some point, especially chasing the game. So Abubakar, obviously, as I say, is a brilliant, brilliant um, goal scorer for them. And the finish was remarkable. And it was one of them situations, Raf, where... You look at the new offside rule and a lot of people are frustrated, particularly me. If a fella's clearly offside by five, ten yards or whatever, put the flag up. I hate when they play on and then they put the flag up uh, a minute later. But that one looked like one of those situations. But I think what we've learned in that and for a lot of players is that when you're in on goal like that, regardless whether the flag has gone up or not, you go in and try and finish it and let VR sort it out after that. And I think the Serbian f- defenders were probably guilty of, of thinking he was offside. A couple of them stopped. But once he got in, Abubakar, as you say, a brilliant chip finish. And I don't know if you've ever seen the goal of Chris Forrester a few years back for St. Pat's, but it was very, very similar to that. And it's a brilliant finish. And it looks so good when, when somebody lobs the keeper, especially with a, um, a scooped lob like that, shall we say. So it was a brilliant finish from him. And Lee, why were you shaking your head? I could just see you there in the back. Because it was again, it was against Shamrock Rovers. <laughs> that's right. Like... Turn the neck there. I remember the goal well. I don't. Yeah. I'll, I'll try. I think I'll, I'll forget the scoreline on that one. I think it was five. Was it four or five now? Or they were. T- I think they were well, well in control at that stage, Ed, and, and Forrester <laughs> was showing off his party piece. Yeah, but um, do you know what? I think this, they call the reference that Dabar Sukar goal on. Uh, Against Schmeichel way back, but uh, oh, yeah. it, was, it, was more, it was more along the lines of them. Uh, do you remember was it Carol Poborski? Was it for Czech Republic? Um, in, I think it was Euro '96. He got one very similar where he's literally scooped it from almost over a, like a standing person right in front of him. I think the guest keeper right now he just scooped it right up. But it was it was it was a remarkable goal now, um, and it was it was it was a very clever finish because the keeper was right on top of him. Yeah, and uh, of course, Serbia play Switzerland on Friday in their final group match, and Serbia have to win if they have any uh, any chance of going through. Also, Cameroon uh, aren't out of it, they, but they would have to beat Brazil, which <laughs> doesn't look like it's going to be an easy task. Of course, so realistically, it's probably going to be. Well, we've seen shock, we've seen shocks in this tournament, so we can't rule it out. But realistically, it's going to be a shootout between Serbia and Switzerland. We saw Switzerland narrowly losing one nil to Brazil earlier in the uh, in the third game of the day. 1-0 defeat with Casemiro scoring. We'll talk about Brazil very shortly because they're obviously the uh, standout favourites for this tournament. But Alan, in regards to what you saw of Switzerland as a defensive unit and then coming up against a Serbia who have attacking talent, you've mentioned some of the names, you can throw in the likes of Lavic uh, on top of it as well as another option. How do you see that game playing out on Friday now? Uh, it's obviously going to be attack versus defence, but Switzerland have weapons themselves and resoluteness in defence. Yeah, and I always felt at the start of the, the group or start of the World Cup that this was the hardest group of them all because if you look through all the groups, Raf, we have 
particularly at the outset, you would have had two really strong teams and two kind of weaker teams. But as you says, we've seen all sorts of surprises, which has thrown the groups into a bit of chaos, which is good, I think, for the tournament. But certainly with this group, I always felt we had three really strong teams with Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland. And that's the way it's played out now that we have. We're down to the third game and it is a shootout now between Serbia and Switzerland. I've seen plenty of both teams. As you say, I think Switzerland, as you rightly describe, are, are very well organised, very disciplined. It looked like they were going to get the point today against Brazil. Uh, some brilliant defending. Akanji at the back was brilliant. Elvedi. Um, but then a moment of magic, I suppose, from Casemiro pops up with a great goal and leaves them, leaves them in the position they're in now, Switzerland. But I still wouldn't rule them out. I think they're a strong team. Uh, and Bolo up front, Seferovic will obviously come off the bench. He made a couple of changes to the team today. So I do think to have some attacking players that'll cause Serbia problems but Serbia are probably the more dangerous in terms of an attack and threat with the likes of the players that we've already mentioned and Mitch Rich is in brilliant goal scoring form got another one this morning so it's tough to call but I fancied Serbia at the start of the group to come out of it so I'm going to just stick with that Raf and and say it'll be Brazilian Serbia to come out of the group yeah and uh, in regards to sorry Raf I'm just laughing here uh, it's taken two minutes if even I think to uh, Luis Suarez just sent on to uh... Oh, he hasn't come on yet. He's just coming on for Cavani. And uh, he's already... And he's, 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 he's already in the official's face. Given, I think it was like a Johnny Aldridge moment. Yeah, the, yeah. It looks, it looks exactly he, like that. I don't know what's gone wrong there. He hasn't been that off his leash yet, but wait and see. He's got 20 yeah. minutes. He's got 20 minutes to, to turn this one around. Yeah, the board has just gone up now for him to go on for uh, Cavani, but he's already fired up and he hasn't set foot on the pitch. So I'd be, I'd be very, I'd be very worried. Well, that there will be a red card here, especially. I was looking forward to him versus Pepe Allen. I mean, given their, uh, yeah, they're both, absolutely, they're both quite tempestuous. Absolutely, there's plenty of players you could throw into the mix there with Godin as well. But Cavani doesn't look like he's too happy to be coming off, but. I actually thought the change might have came earlier because Nunes was very, very disappointed, and Cavani both of them were really poor in the game, but. I would have expected them to come off earlier, but now that they're going to go behind, you're chasing the game, maybe leave one of them on with Suarez, but he's chosen to take the two of them off. He's brought Suarez on as well, but um, a Johnny Aldridge moment on the line, as you said, he, he's well fired up coming onto the pitch, so he could have fireworks yet in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, and uh, Ed, I suppose in regards to Brazil, I mean, they've been, they are the tournament favourites. Now, they've faced two tough games, as has been mentioned, Serbia and Switzerland are quite handy kind of mid-range European opposition and we will see later in the tournament now that Brazil are true to the knockout stages how they fare when they take on uh, the elite European teams which has been the stumbling block in the last four World Cups but there in terms of attack what have you made of the way you know they've, they've taken time to break down both the Serbians and the Swiss but what have you made of them in terms of their the way they've attacked especially without Neymar this time yeah well uh, you know dare I say it but um you know, I think they, I think they missed Neymar today because not only has he a bit more of a controlling, steady and influence on them sometimes when he can, you know, he's picking passes and he's linking play, but he's also he occupies he occupies players and he creates space from that perspective. Just because because there's so much focus on him, other players get more place to more time to play, and I think that was noticeable in the first game. I thought in today's game it, it was just credit to the Swiss. Um, I thought they're a very clever formation with the one of a flat back four, and the two boys in the middle were strong and steady, and the two full backs did a really good job on keeping Rafina and Vinny Junior, as Ronnie Whelan was calling them, um, quiet. You know, the only joy those lads were getting in the first half was by cutting inside and almost 
running away from the fullback. So that that's why I think they couldn't break them down so much. Um, I think it was just inevitable in the second half. Uh, the change at half time, I think, with Rodrigo coming on helped, and with, with Fred going off, they were a little bit more adventurous. I thought um, the goal itself, it took like it took a moment of magic to beat Switzerland, and it was uh, even with, even before the finish, it was like two or three super passes and a flick and like an amazing goal and an amazing team goal. Um, and that's what that's that's that was essentially the difference between the two on the you know in ter- in terms of goals. Yeah, and my reaction there, Alan, I don't know if you've just seen it there on your screen as well. Yeah, the, I'm the, watching the, the it, I'm Maxi, watching the, it, yeah. yeah, the Maxi Gomez uh, strike. <laughs> so so close. Yeah, nearly had an instant impact. He's come on with Suarez as well, but a brilliant effort, curling effort from the edge of the box, hit the post uh, and really really unlucky, but that's given Uruguay plenty of hope. Obviously, we mentioned that the substitutions have come on and they're chasing the game now and he's nearly had an impact already, Maxi Gomez. So hopefully with the last 15 minutes to go, they may, maybe can create another one or two chances. Yeah, as, uh, as Ed was talking about there in terms of Brazil, obviously it was through Casemiro's goal when he got forward uh, to to score the the winner uh, to beat Switzerland. But they're, they've Brazil have a real solidity, Alan, I suppose, in the way they, they set up, especially when you look at full back. And it was more stark when you looked up in the, you know, the footage in the stands where you could see Roberto Carlos and Cafu either side of Ronaldo. But you see a centre back in Eder Militao now playing in that position today, uh, obviously in place of the injured Danilo. But I guess for them, it's that kind of solidity at full back. It's more a case for later in the tournament when they face those stronger European teams. Yeah, and I think that's what separates them from all the teams I've seen so far in the tournament, Raf, is the strength and depth that they have, particularly the players they're bringing off the bench. And you mentioned today, Militao, who's a brilliant centre-half at club level and probably at international level, but he doesn't get in the team. Um, but you look at him, slotting in today obviously um, at right full because you have Thiago Silva Thiago Silva sorry and Marquinhos playing centre half Danilo who normally plays there but he comes into the team Militao and he was absolutely excellent not just his defensive qualities but going forward as well I thought he was really really good um, I think he's actually better than Danilo to be honest I'm not mad on Danilo I think that's a weakness of Brazil is their fullbacks Danilo and Alexandro if they have any uh, but Militao looked brilliant there today and he was very very good but you look at the attacking options they have coming off the bench as well Jesus Martinelli um, and you mentioned Rodrigo there I thought he really changed the game again today and I thought he was brilliant when he came on in the first game also um, so that's what I think like you're saying there they're standout favourites I think that's what makes them standout favourites is the options to have coming off the bench and the strength and depth whereas I look at some of the other countries and they might have strong 11 strong 12 or 13 whereas Brazil I think have strong 15 or 16 and regards what, to what Ed said about Neymar, and you know, a sense that he, you know, you can you could feel his absence today. Uh, did you did you see it that way? Um, obviously, he's going to be he won't be available again until the knockout stages. Yeah, I don't know. I have a slightly different view. I know the game today. Obviously, they they probably huffed and puffed a little bit, and it was only towards maybe the latter stages of the game that they really got on top, and you you felt the goal was coming, but it was slow in coming. Um, and people might point to that that there was no Neymar. But I think they're nearly better without him because he's so self-indulgent and it's all about him. And um, Whereas, as I say, I look at the likes of Rodrigo and Rafinha and these lads, it's almost when Neymar's not playing, the shackles come off a little bit. So um, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, in, in the next game as well. But I just think um, it's an easier game for them. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be certainly of the view 100% that just because Neymar wasn't playing, that was the reason that the goal was slow in coming. Um, 
I think he needs to step up, Neymar. There's been so much focus on him, obviously, over the last four or five years. I feel this is his best opportunity to deliver. He has brilliant players around him as well, so it's not a case of they're just relying on him. Something like what we see with maybe Messi, there's a lot more reliance on him because of the players around him that maybe are not as strong. But we're Brazil, there's so many brilliant players around him that it should be almost easier for him. But I'm not sure that's not the case, to be honest with you, Raf. Um, so I wouldn't point to just the reason that the game, that the goal came so late in the day today and why it may, why it maybe came so late and um, purely down to the fact that Neymar wasn't playing. Yeah, and as it stands, 78 minutes in this game between Portugal and Uruguay. Portugal still leading 1-0, but Uruguay have had a couple of good chances in the last while. Uh, Luis Suarez came close not so very long ago. Um, also in that group, obviously, Alan, as you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you were on co-commentary duty with John Kenny for Ghana against South Korea. So Ghana 3, South Korea 2. Uh, Mohamed Kadu scoring a brace and also Cho for South Korea scoring the other two with some, <laughs> well, I can only say brilliant headers, especially the second one. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I'm still coming down off the high. I had to come home for a lie down, Raf, after the match today. It was uh, it was just absolutely fantastic as a spectacle. And who would have thought, I suppose, South Korea started off the game really well. The first 20 minutes had all the ball, all the possession. Um, didn't really create any clear-cut chances. But then against the run of play, Ghana got their first set piece and an unbelievable ball into the box by Jordan Ayew. And uh, Salasu scores the first goal. Then they get a second and you're thinking they're in dreamland. Um I felt at half-time there was no way back really for South Korea because of what we'd seen in the first half. But how wrong were we? And as you say, Cho pops up with two, uh, two brilliant goals. But the header, uh, particularly from the cross from uh, Kim Jin-soo, he was absolutely magnificent. i never seen a performance of a left-back as good in a long, long time. Um, he was up and down all day. His energy levels were phenomenal. But when he got into dangerous positions, some of his crossing was absolutely outstanding, Raph. Brilliant, brilliant crossing. Uh, and that's where the goal came from, Cho, with the header. Um, and then they got one in quick succession where Kim Jinsu stands one up to the back post. And again, a fantastic header and arriving like a steam train. And at that stage, you're thinking they'll go on and win South Korea. All the momentum was with them. But then um, Ghana respond with the next attack and Gideon Mensu gets down the left-hand side and he pulls back a brilliant delivery uh, back to Mohamed Kudos, who was brilliant on the day. He scored in the opening game as well, I think. And he's shipped in with goals for Ajax in the Champions League. He looks like a really, really exciting talent and a player who's going going places and a brilliant control finish into the corner. So um, I think I've described it quite well there, Raf, but it was all action, end-to-end stuff, a brilliant second half, and I loved every minute of it. Yeah, and it does throw this group wide open now because one would have thought with Ghana losing their opening game to Portugal that uh, they'd have a hard road back. And South Korea started quite well with the goalless draw against Uruguay. And as things stand here, uh, Ed, Uruguay are in a little bit of trouble and have a little bit of work to do in terms of getting out of this group. Obviously, there's a grudge match against Ghana to come because people might might not remember the uh, the 2010 game where Luis Suarez handled the ball on the line, got sent off. Uh, and they, uh, the Ghanaians missed the penalty. And as they missed the penalty, of course, Suarez was on the sideline, uh, kind of watching, not able to watch it, and then suddenly celebrating on the sideline. People might not remember that. That's uh, the Uruguay-Ghana game in the World Cup quarterfinal uh, all those years ago, 12 years ago. But uh, it's a tough one for Uruguay now because they haven't looked too good tonight and not really in their first game either. No, they haven't. But do you know what, Ralph? I don't think... Uh... Ghanaians hold on to grudge handballs as long as the Irish do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that well, no, good. at least, and uh, in fairness, they got a penalty out of it. I mean, yeah. we, we should have had a free out. Uh, yeah, I know, but listen, 
it's uh yeah like a lot of people just still on that one that one go but um you know Uruguay are in trouble and you know what um Ghana themselves I thought were going to be in trouble earlier I didn't think any of the four teams Ghana Cameroons uh Serbia or South Korea uh I don't think any of them did themselves justice in the opening 20 25 minutes of, of either game uh, I think it was a sign of teams who were like these sort of countries, it would be the same if Ireland were there, who are celebrate every World Cup goal as if it's like an iconic moment of, of the football and history of that country. And it just sort of shows that that pressure is on them and they, they're not able to play their natural game until something happens, like a goal is scored and suddenly, you know, the natural order is resumed. And you saw that with the Serbia team in particular. They were all over the place in, that, in the opening stages of that game. And they're lacking energy in that team, but the skill they have and, and physicality make up for it. Um, and then it was the same with Ghana. You know, I, th- I just thought, really thought Ghana were going to struggle. Um, but when they get it together, I think they're the, they're the best of, of the African teams. Uh, well, maybe not as good as Morocco on their day, but uh, as a unit, they're very good. But I, I, yeah, I, th- I don't see I don't see Uruguay going through. Um, I think I think they've been poor. I think they're an aging team. And when you know when they're calling on Luis Suarez to to save them again, like here, you know, it's it's almost time to to call it a day. I'd say. Yeah, so still one nil in that game as it uh, as we record here. But uh, and I think I've seen Cristiano Ronaldo going off too as well, um, getting subbed off. But tomorrow there's uh, plenty of fixtures. Tomorrow Tuesday that is. Uh, this is the final uh, final group games in Group A and Group B and uh, Netherlands against Qatar at 3 o'clock. That's going to be live on the RT News channel and also the RT player. Also on the RT player is Senegal against Ecuador, but on TV, that's on RT2. And then and that, both of those games are 3 o'clock simultaneously, obviously. And then the two 7 o'clock games are the Group B um, closers between Wales and England, which is going to be live on RT2, RT player. And then Iran against USA, which is going to be on the RT News channel as well as the player so a lot of permutations to look forward to there Alan I mean in regards to Senegal Ecuador I think the it's it's fairly simple what the equation is here I think we can safely say Netherlands are going to beat Qatar more than likely from what we've seen in Qatar but uh have you seen enough from Senegal that makes you think they actually could beat a, a very impressive Ecuador team no not at all Raf I'd fancy Ecuador strongly here I've covered Senegal twice uh, very disappointing in the opening day against the Netherlands. Um, and Netherlands themselves have been quite disappointing in the tournament also. I haven't been mad on them. Ecuador have been the most impressive out of that group. I think they've been fantastic and I, I fully expect them to get the job done against um, Senegal tomorrow. Qatar, who you say, obviously were very disappointed in the opening day, but they gave a really good account of themselves and they got themselves back into the game against Senegal and a 2-1, you're thinking they're in with a real chance. Um, Afif was absolutely fantastic for them. Um, but then the, a breakaway goal for Senegal and obviously made it 3-1. Um, and that they, they just ran out of steam in the end, Qatar. But they did give a good account of themselves, much better than the opening day. But I haven't been impressed with anyone in this group, only Ecuador. And I fully expect them to get the job done tomorrow, Raf. And for the Dutch, as you said, you, you haven't been impressed by any team, which obviously includes them as well. I mean, they the bet Senegal 2-0 in the opening game, which was a good, solid result. And then they looked very flat in their 1-1 draw against Ecuador, probably lucky to, to get away with a point there. But what's the issue with them when you look at their the way they've set up? Obviously, uh, the Dutch traditionally play 4-3-3, but Van Hal in this World Cup, and also when he was managing them in uh, 2014, He's used, he's been using a back three, worked to good effect in, in 2014, where 
they had better players up front like Robin and uh, Van Persie, of course, and Wesley Schneider was still playing at that time. Is it just a case of a lack of quality um, up front? Memphis Depay, who isn't fit aside? Yeah, and like that's exactly it. That's the issue I have with them. They were very pedestrian against Senegal. The game was going nowhere, drifting along on the opening day. And I expected a lot because in qualification, they scored a lot of goals. Netherlands, they were banging in goals. And um, and you're thinking they're going to come into this tournament flying off the back of that and, and pose a real threat to a lot of teams. And you would have fancied them in the, in the first game against Senegal to maybe carry on that form. But they were really, really... Um, pedestrian and laboured in their build-up and it was probably largely down to the fact that there was no Memphis Depay now they brought him on for a half an hour got a bit of game time into him um, and Cody Gakpo who obviously there was a lot of talk about him before the tournament as well uh, I was disappointed with him but he did pop up with the all-important goal against Senegal that first one uh, and as you say it was a solid enough performance and they started off with uh, a good three points then they went into the Ecuador game got off to a dream start Cody Gakpo gets an opening goal again after a few minutes and you're thinking this will settle them down and they'll kick on from here but Ecuador completely took over the match dominated after that for large large spells got themselves back in the game and were really unlucky not to win it I felt they should have won it uh, so I think Ecuador are a real dangerous team for a lot of teams in this tournament because I do think they'll get out of the group tomorrow and then in the knockout rounds I wouldn't like to face them because they're really high energy uh, very physical very strong and I think they'll cause a lot of teams problems whoever to face in the knockout stages and obviously that's England's group as well so um, it'll be really interesting to see who to face once to come through tomorrow I'm very very confident by the way of them coming through tomorrow um, and as I say they're, they've, they've been one of the more impressive teams Ecuador Yeah and the likelihood is if the Dutch win by a few goals against uh, Qatar um, Ecuador more than likely would probably be finishing second in that group Ed which means either well they'll, they'll get England obviously but on the other side of it uh, Iran against the United States so we'll talk about England and Wales very shortly but uh, Iran against the United States first time they're meeting in a World Cup since uh, 1998 which of course uh, the Iranians won 2-1 um, obviously geopolitics aside uh, this one's gonna this one is pretty much a straight shootout for who finishes second albeit depending on what happens in the Wales game too. Yeah, you don't you don't imagine Wales are gonna are gonna beat England even if England were poor in the second game. I suppose the Americans will, will take another heart out of that England result. Um to take oh there's actually a penalty VAR decision coming up here, I think. Uh it could be a penalty for Portugal. Um I'm not sure and and he's, gone off, he's gone off the pitch, Ronaldo. He'd yeah, be he's the if they get it. With a sliding tackle and his, his trailing hand catches oh, the ball. He's going to look at it. He's going to look at it. This, this, the ref. this is a penalty. Yeah, this is a penalty. Bruno Fernandes is sort of nutmegs him and he goes down on the ball with his left hand. He, uh, otherwise, Fernandes is going to collect the ball on the other side of him. This has to be a penalty. Well, once the referee goes over to the screen, it's always going to give it. Well, I've called it. You've, you've called it, Ed. Ed you're, Ed, you're a referee as well. I refereed in the UCD Super League before. And never again, never again. They're giving it. Suarez is the first man to meet the referee on, a, on his way back to the pitch. And He'll be devastated. Be... Ronaldo will be devastated. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, like... it's, yeah. I presume the taker is going to be Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, he's in on goal. If Ronaldo, if, if Ronaldo goes, off. If the handball... Poor old Cristiano's gone off the pitch. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance you can sub him back on just to take the penalty, no? <laughs> I think he'll be giving that call to Fernando Santos to put him back straight back on there. They're trying to dig up the penalty spot as we as we speak. The Uruguayans are all over it. 
Yeah, but uh, either either way, as uh, as they prepare to take that penalty there, it's uh, the clock has gone past 90 now. Now, obviously, with the, the type of stoppage time we're getting here, there is still a little bit of time for uh, for Uruguay to try and uh, get a goal back. But we could be looking at a situation where Portugal are obviously going to be two goals up. They roughed that penalty. It was a great time. And I didn't have to give a verdict on USA-Iran. <laughs> well, give give while we wait here for the, the I, penalty. I think, I, I think, I think the Americans will... will... <laughs> Well, just nudge their way past them. I think they'll they just do a conservative approach and just just sneak past them. I think. Yeah, and uh, just on the Americans while we wait for this uh, Portugal penalty, and we'll see who's actually going to take it. It looks like uh, João Cancelo was the one uh, tapping the penalty spot. But uh, in regards to the United States, they were quite impressive against England, Alan. But uh, what the one area on the pitch where you look around, you, you know, you look around midfield. There's some, you know, there's some good young talent like Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams, Yunus Musa, and then obviously Christian Pulisic a little bit further forward. But centre forward seems to be the area where they're weakest, really. Yeah, I'd agree totally with that, Raf. I think the midfield three are very, very strong. Um, high energy as well, powerful runners. You've certainly seen that in the first half against Wales and obviously you've seen plenty of it against England as well. They were very, very good. Um, but that is an area of concern for them. Who's going to get them the goals? Obviously, Wea uh, got the goal against Wales. But I think Pulisic has been very, very good in the tournament for them. Obviously, he's their main man and, and he has to step up and deliver. And I think he's been good, but he's more a creative force than a scorer himself. So um, that would be the question mark over them. I don't think it's as clear cut as goal. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's as clear cut um, as, as, and as straightforward. Maybe a saying that they'll come through you. I say I think Iran are playing with a lot of passion, a lot of heart. Obviously, um, we know that the the issues with that's going on for themselves and the pressure that they're under, and of course the singing of the anthem and the non-singing of the anthem. But um, I think they come out and give a brilliant showing of themselves against Wales, and I think they'll carry that determination into the game against the USA as well. And um, I think that'll be a really good match to watch. Yeah, certainly. And obviously there'll be the whole geopolitical implications, obviously, between the two countries. That's uh, going to get a lot of attention. But uh, yeah, well. you were you were laughing at something there, Ed, I think, uh, before yeah, we turned to, to... Lovely cutaway to the Uruguay fans. Not very, very... Uh, <laughs> what's been like? <laughs> it was some, gest- some gesticulation. <laughs> Yeah. With yeah, with I, I don't I haven't seen it yet on my screen yet, so I'll uh, I I won't repeat or try and demonstrate whatever gesticulation this is. Throwing <laughs> well, in from left field, Alan, what do you think of this? That goal today, Cho's second goal today. I think for me, it, it trumps uh, it trumps the Ricard Ricardson goal as the best goal so far in the tournament. It was absolute power header. He came over the top of a lad. An absolute crack and go. Um, brave, fearless. And then when you combine that with the stories in Scotland today about not being able to head the ball two days before and after the game, are we, is that goal going to become a collector's item in a few years' time, do you think? I hope it doesn't, Ed, to be honest with you. Um, because, as I say, I covered a match and it was absolutely brilliant. The two goals. The first goal he got as well was magnificent. And he had a header just before the first goal. I'm not sure if you remember where he had to generate all the power. He had to arc his neck back, generate all the power and got, got plenty of power into it. And the keeper pulled off a brilliant save. Then his first goal, 
was the brilliant cross into the box um, and he gets in on the blind side of Salasu and that was a great header but as you say the, the one you're talking about where um, Kim Jin Soo stands one up to the back post and it was almost reminiscent of I'm not sure if you if you remember a goal probably one of the best goals I've ever seen Ronaldo score against against Roma Roma in the Champions League yeah he came running from the edge of the box like an absolute steam train and buried one into it and it was an unbelievable header I'll never forget it that Ronaldo got and it was almost the carbon copy of that today as you say Cho eyes on the ball no matter what was in front of him he was just powering through a brilliant header and to answer your question about the, the issues with heading obviously I hope to, I hope that's not the case but we do know there, there probably is some issues around that going back from, from years ago but I like to think maybe with the with the balls we're playing with nowadays that that will not be the case in terms of years going forward with the technology we have as well and uh, you'd hate to think that would become a collector's item because it gave me great joy today it gave many people great joy and it's a part of the game heading it's a skill you know it's a real skill to to get up in the air time your header and to generate the power as well and that was a, a brilliant example of it today from Cho. Yeah. I remember a young Noel Hunt scoring something similar in a in talk of Hark, uh, a long time ago, I think Rovers would have been playing their home games there. That's a long... Raph, 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 I wouldn't be on this podcast tonight if I had to know he was going to talk about Shamrock Rovers every every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we'll give we'll give you a warning next time. But uh, um, in, in regards... Ireland yeah, but in, in, in regards to the group B, the other Group B game, obviously we've talked about Iran and the United States, but uh, England-Wales, obviously England are going to be favourites here. And I think what makes it a bit more interesting, obviously, Alan, is England still need to win as well because who knows what happens. If Iran were to win and England weren't to beat Wales, Iran would actually top that group. Yeah, and we spoke about the reasons why it's so important to top the group, Raf, because if you've Ecuador waiting on the other side, uh, I wouldn't fancy playing them whatsoever. I have to. I nearly prefer to play the Netherlands than Ecuador, and that's been honest with you. So there's a lot to play for for England. You would think they would get the job done. I've been disappointed with Wales so far, as have many. I'm sure they've been disappointed themselves after a brilliant second half performance against the USA and got themselves back in the game. They were poor again against Iran. Now, the only thing I'd say in their defence, even from listening to lads over there, by all accounts, it was the early game. It was 32 degrees. And I just think the heat has probably been a massive factor. You include, obviously, Aaron Ramsey having the injuries or not playing as much football the last couple of years. And then more so Bale, who's their superstar, and playing little or no football coming into the tournament. And I don't care how good you are, Raf, you can't just turn it on and off. Um, and they're so reliant on him as well, Wales. So it's been a disappointing campaign for them. They obviously have, as you say, if they win, they give themselves a chance of qualification. But the chances of them beating England are slim to none. I'd be shocked if they beat England. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, those... Um kind of British derbies, I guess, and I'm more referring to like the Scotland game at uh, Euro 2020 last year, Ed, sometimes they can be a bit of an equaliser. And even if you go back four years before that or five years before that uh, to Euro 2016, where the Welsh played England and it was a late Daniel Sturridge goal uh, that separated them. Those games for England often end up being tricky. Oh, have no doubt. Wales are going to put in the best performance of the tournament against England. They're going to... Like, I wouldn't say bring them down to their level, but uh, obviously this current Welsh team or an aging team, they're not as good as they used to be. And like, when you know, the influence someone like Joe Allen used to have on the way Wales play, Aaron Ramsey, like, you know, should he even have been brought to the World Cup on on, on club form? Like, you know, so they, there was a lot of nostalgia with that Welsh squad, I think. And they haven't, they haven't produced in the World Cup. But I do think 
they will turn it into like your Darby style game to a certain extent. Try and keep the tempo high and just, you know, capitalize on on maybe some mistakes and some, you know, just like I still I still find it hard to think that England will be would 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 lose to them, but um, you know, they might just cancel them out and it just could it might just end up in a stalemate. Yeah, Bruno Fernandez hit the post there in with one minute to go in stoppage time there to almost make a 3-0 to Portugal against Uruguay. But uh, just on England, uh, Alan, in regards to, obviously the United States game was a little bit of a come down for them compared to the glory of a 6-2 over Iran. Do you expect any changes? I mean, there's a lot of call, as usually happens when the media get involved or the UK media get involved and, you know, there's certain players they're clamouring for. Would you expect Phil Foden to be included uh, maybe in place of Mason Mount, who seems to be the player they want to pull out of there? Yeah, that's all the speculation, Raf. And um, I wouldn't have waited for now for that change. I think Foden should have started. Um, and I think what might come against Gareth Southgate is the fact that he's nearly too loyal to some players. Now, I admire that in a manager, but there comes a point where you can overstep the mark on that one. And sometimes you have to make the decision. And I think we've seen that even with Harry Maguire. He's picked him in the team and I think he's been too loyal to him. I don't think he can pick him on the basis of what we've seen or what we haven't seen. In terms of his club form, it's been dreadful. I know he did okay in the first game, but if you come up against the better nations, you're not going to win a World Cup with him in your defence. Um, so I think the one on Foden, I would have picked Foden anyway. Now, I know people might argue, well, he hasn't done an England jersey. He's still an unbelievable player playing in an unbelievable team. And if he's good enough for Pep Guardiola, he's good enough for me, Raf. So um, changes to make. I do, I do think a lot of it as well, the, the reaction to the match, it is exactly that. It's so reactionary because they say the first game, they did really well. The second game, maybe not as been good, not a, obviously wasn't as good, um, but they're still sitting on four points and, and they should take care of Wales tomorrow. So I think it's been a decent enough start for England. And from what I've seen in the tournament so far, with it being so open and a lot of the top teams probably not performing at the level we, we may have thought, England are still very much in with a chance. Um, so I wouldn't write them off yet. I think he probably needs to get Foden into the team somewhere. I certainly would have him in the team. I think he's an unbelievable talent, Phil Foden. Um, so whether he cho- chooses to pick him tomorrow, I hope he does, because I think he needs to get him into the team at some point. Yeah, and the full-time whistle has blown there between Portugal and Uruguay. 2-0 win, Cristiano Ronaldo, potentially, depending on the length of his uh, of his hair, <laughs> scored the yeah. first goal. Um, and then Bruno Fernandes uh, with the penalty in, uh, stop, well, in the third minute of stoppage time. There was about another five or six minutes played after that. Um, from what you've seen of Portugal tonight, and obviously including the first game against Ghana, they're likely, um, they're up to six points now, so they're likely to top this group when um, they play South Korea last and they'll more than likely then play, they'll play the, the second team in Group G, which is probably going to be either Switzerland or Serbia. What or how, or like, do you fancy them then in that, in a la- potential last 16 clash against either of those teams? Who, me, Raf? Yeah. Um, I think they've been good so far. Portugal, six points. You can't argue with that. I think they've been good tonight. Very dangerous. Dominated the game. I think Uruguay actually looked better when they went to goal down and started to chase the game. Um, I think they were far too defensive in the early stages. But I don't see Portugal winning it. No, I have to say. Even though Bruno Fernandes looks like he's in really good form. Uh, played really, really well tonight. Probably man of the match. Ronaldo, to be fair, for all the talk about him... Um, whether he scored the goal or not, he still looked very dangerous at times in the game as well. Uh, so I do give them a chance, but I think if they face Serbia, Switzerland, that won't be an easy match at all for them. I think, I think they'd find it really, really difficult. And whether to come true or not, I can't see them going on to win it, to be honest with you. 
I yeah. think that and that's and that, on that note, I don't think they fancy meeting Serbia again. I think Serbia they, they beat them and that and drove them in the two matches and in yeah. And they seem to know how to play against them. Yeah, and, and just on that, Ed, actually, the, the, the second game, um, as you're referring to the one that they beat them in, like there was a lot on the line there. And Serbia were the ones and scored a last minute winner as well to get to the World Cup automatically. So with something on the line, Serbia know they can beat Portugal. Yeah, absolutely. And like you saw the quality that Serbia have today when they get it, when they get the game going and when, the, you know, uh, Dusan Tadic gets on the ball and really pulls the strings. He's like when he's on form, the team really plays so well. Um, I, th- I think Portugal would probably fancy a game against Switzerland. They probably would see the Brazil game and they could maybe say to themselves that they, they play a similar style to a certain extent or similar players um, that could maybe unlock that stubborn Swiss defense. So, um, but yeah, either way, you know. It's going to be that's going to be a good, a good test for for whatever two teams play that game, I suppose. Yeah, and for Uruguay, as uh, as we said, Alan, before we go, I mean, they have to beat Ghana now. They're they're actually bottom of the group at the moment on one point. Uh, Ghana uh, second at the moment, holding that that place to get into the last sixteen on three points. Uh, so it's obviously a shootout when they when they meet on Friday. You've seen a lot of Ghana. You've seen Uruguay tonight, and uh, you know when you look at how blunt maybe Darwin Nunes and whoever plays alongside him uh, on Friday, um, you know that that front two. Are you kind of tipping Ghana at this point to maybe hold on to that or maybe get the result that's needed? Yeah, I'm not no Raf because even though they got the win today, I still think Uruguay could trouble them. I really do. Uh, and to let a two goal lead slip today as well would worry me. Now they do have uh, a very exciting player, obviously a Mohamed Kudos. I think Party played well. The two IU brothers who were not prolific by any means, but certainly put in a good shift for the team. But after that, I'm kind of struggling, and I felt Uruguay were far better when they were chasing the game. So if they come out with that attacking intent, and they'll have to because it's a shootout, and they have to win. I think they have enough to trouble them. I felt Bentancourt was very good uh, for Uruguay tonight, Valverde. And the changes that he made with Suarez and Gomez, they looked a bit better um, down with Darwin Nunes. Darwin Nunes was really poor and Cavani. So um, in that instance, with a shootout like that, even though Uruguay are sitting now, obviously, um, with just one point and they have to win, I think they will win. Yeah, and I think Ed uh, just just saw footage there of Ronaldo walking off the pitch, and he seemed to make a motion like he's flicking his hair. So I'm presuming uh, I'm not a I'm not a sign language expert or anything here, but I'm presuming he's referring to uh, his goal there. I think he's claiming it. Well, uh, I would say FIFA will have the last say in that one. And uh, if if the technology is as good as it is for the new offside scenarios, I think they'll they'll probably show that he had no contact with the ball. Yeah, but anyway, I think that brings us to a close. So obviously tomorrow, uh, four games, but as we're coming to the end of the group stages, there are no more 10 a.m. games and uh, there isn't a four o'clock fixture either. So three o'clock tomorrow, Netherlands and Qatar meeting in Ecuador against Senegal, the latter of those on RT2 and the Netherlands game on the RT News Channel, both on the player. And then also on the player is Wales against England at seven, Iran against USA at seven, Wales, England on RT2 and uh, USA, Iran on the RT News Channel. Alan Colley, thanks a million for taking the time tonight. And also Ed Leahy. Pleasure, lads. Cheers, Ralph. Cheers, all.
Hoy mi gente 